Hello and welcome to the Africa Today podcast from the BBC, recorded at 1800 GMT on Wednesday, the 28th of November. I am Hassan Aruni. Coming up today, after waves of deadly attacks in Nigeria, President Mohamedou Buhari visits troops in Borno State to boost morale. And I want to assure you that no effort will be spared in providing the necessary support you require to complete the task. Fried grasshoppers on the menu, much loved in Kampala, but numbers have declined this year. Plus the death penalty. The Gambians want it in their planned new constitution. First to Nigeria, where President Buhari has cancelled five days' leave he had taken and gone instead to the northeast of the country. It follows deadly attacks in the last few weeks by Boko Haram that killed as many as 100 soldiers. By one account, the escalating attacks include at least 17 attempts to overrun army bases since July, most of them in the northeastern state of Borno, which is why President Buhari is today in the state capital, Maiduguri. During the visit, the President addressed the troops and senior staff. I am of course aware that in the recent months and in recent days there have been some operational losses and I want to assure you that no effort will be spared in providing the necessary support you require to complete the task. As we approach the 2019 general elections, I want to urge all members of the armed forces to live up to their responsibilities and remain non-partisan to prevent every form of violence that could disrupt the process in line with your rules of engagement. The freelance journalist Jack Vincent, who lives and works in Maiduguri, has more. It's all about how to bring an end, a lasting solution to the crisis in the Chad region and, of course, the embattled Northeast. That was basically what brought Buhari to Maiduguri from every indication. Because as we hear right now, uh, a meeting in Chad will be convened, bringing the leaders of the Chad Basin countries together to see how they could tackle Boko Haram crisis in the region. But he's had... Uh, something like four years to address this crisis, and this is something that he did say would be a, a key plank of his uh, reign. And and now, as we are facing, Nigeria is facing election, um, he's gone to Maiduguri and he's saying this. Uh, is this something that people in the city there uh, 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 buy at all? Opinions are divided on this issue. While some people think he is genuine and has come to look into the crisis as sparked by the Metele attack uh, uh, not too long ago. Other people think, no, he's doing this for political reasons. He's doing this because 2019 general elections is by the corner, and then he's trying to uh, score a cheap political point. That is what people in the opposition are saying. That is what some people in the streets too are saying. You know, people still do hold the president in high regard. They have what you say, love and respect for him. Was that reflected yes, in this part of the country? Yes. Was that reflect? How was that reflected in in his reception when he arrived in uh, Maiduguri? From Maiduguri International Airport, which is towards the uh, northwestern part of the state capital, to Command Guest House, to the show of Borough Palace, uh, 
to every other place he visited, even the uh, popular Mimalari military cantonment, people were all over the streets jubilating and being happy to see him because they've always wanted to see him here. I know the president um, uh, actually had to take time off planned leave to come to Maiduguri. Is this going to be just a one-day uh, visit or will he stay longer than today? In fact, uh, shortly before I got online with you, I heard from a reliable source that he has left town. Uh, but I have not been able to confirm that yet. Journalist Jack Vincent. We continue our countdown to World AIDS Day this Saturday. Lots of statistics being released concerning HIV AIDS, including good news from Brazil, for instance, where the AIDS mortality rate has fallen from about eight deaths for every 100,000 inhabitants in 2012 to some five deaths for 100,000 inhabitants in 2017. In Africa, the challenge continues, but there are champions who also continue to lend their muscle to the fight against HIV. Botswana former president, for example, Festus Mugai, during his time in office from 1998 to 2008, he ensured that it was at the top of his country's list of priorities. When he came to our studio, I started by asking him why he reacted differently when other leaders in the region were much slower to react to HIV? Why is a difficult question <laughs> to answer. AIDS was an ailment associated with sex. And in Africa, generally, we didn't speak too much about sex. We speak about indirectly. And therefore, I think a disease, an ailment, which was associated with sex, inhibited people. But on the other hand, it was a, a terrible disease which was actually taking the lives of our people. There was no way we were going to deal with it without facing stated admitting that it is happening and it, it's sexually transmitted, uh, but it, it is fatal. At that time, when you were head of state in Botswana, the country had one of the highest rates of HIV. Certainly it was. We had the highest prevalence, known prevalence, yes. Were you scared by this? Yes, I, I said so with you and I said that uh, we face almost uh, extension the way things were happening. Did you have particular concern about um, a very important segment of the population, the young people, the youth? At that time, it was in the aggregate. It was not only the youth, it was everybody. It was later that one worried about certain sections of them. But at that point in time, in Botswana, no, I was worried about everybody because it was affecting everybody, young and old alike. So what was your approach? My approach was to consult with everybody who appeared to know something about it and what could be done. Of course, at that time, most of it was uh, prevention. It was before the arrival of antiretrovirals, but uh, I asked questions and met with everybody, with uh, doctors, with sociologists, and attended meetings internationally on the disease, on the, on the ailment, on various discussions that what, what could be done. You've been credited with moving away from a purely medical focus. Why did you decide to do that? Yes, because in my engagement with, with everybody, it became apparent that prevention, especially at that time, prevention was the most important and effective before actually a, a cure was discovered. So, and therefore, the thing was, know your status. So therefore, testing was very, very important. Important, precisely. Did you have high-profile personalities in the country, people like yourself even? Yes, yes. Testing? Uh, testing, yes. And letting the results be known? Yes. 
And you didn't feel embarrassed by that? No. Why would I? Hey, the thing was, <laughs> our people, friends and relatives, parents, brothers and sisters, were dying. We were burying in every town, we were burying 10, 15 people. That was serious. There was no time for things like that, for being embarrassed. And what about the resources? Because for many, many countries, bringing the national resources, pumping it into this particular disease, which threatened the existence, as you say, of the nation itself, where did you find the resources to pump into this? At that time, budgetarily, we're not doing too badly. Well, you could have put the money elsewhere, on something else. That's true. Like many others did. But what could be more important than the people's lives? I mean, if you are a leader... What we were losing was the very people you were leading. So you dug deep into the Botswana coffers. Yes, yes. It had to be a priority. There could not be a greater priority than the saving the lives of your citizenry, of your people. Nothing was more important than that. Are you happy looking back on what you did? Yes, I am. What are you most happy about? That we were able to fight genuinely with every resource that we have and we're open about it. From where you are now, are you happy with the work that's been done in Botswana since you left power? Not quite. I think what has happened is that the many deaths have gone. People looking emaciated are not there. As a result, nowadays, even if people are infected, if they fall ill, of course, the treatment is available. What has happened is that uh, complacency, in fact, has set in. And we're behaving as if AIDS is no longer there, that the virus does not exist. That's the big mistake that is happening. There is now new infections are resurgent among young populations who were not born, and some of them, or some of them who were babies. Now they are young adults, and they are the ones who are getting infections in large numbers. That was Festus Mohai, HIV-AIDS champion, currently, and Botswana's former president. Later in the week, we'll be hearing from football legend Quentin Fortune, challenging Africa's youth to help wipe out HIV. Now, what's your favorite street snack? Roasted peanuts, plantains perhaps, grilled fish? Well, in Kampala, especially this month, November, it's fried grasshopper. Vendors go around with them in baskets and plastic buckets. But this year, there are concerns that their numbers may be declining. The BBC's patients at Wahire travel to an area that's a popular source of grasshoppers to find out why. That is not the sound of rain, but rather grasshoppers beating against iron sheets and sliding straight into old, rusty oil drums. All around me are dozens of oil drums and hundreds of unpainted iron sheets. The trappers use very bright lights to attract the grasshoppers. They also use smoke from sawdust and burnt grass, which makes the grasshoppers dizzy and makes them fall against the iron sheets and slide straight into the barrels. And they are flying all above in the air. There are green ones, light brown ones, golden brown ones, and these insects are a sought-after delicacy in many communities around Uganda. Grasshopper trappers do not mind sacrificing their sleep, 
women and even children stay up all night searching for any stray insects in the bushes around the carefully laid traps. But recent catches are dwindling in size. Christ Katongole has been in the business for 30 years and has witnessed how the changes in the seasons and deforestation have affected their numbers. There used to be a huge natural forest in this area and several forests on the Lake Victoria Islands. They were all cut down. That resulted in the numbers of grasshoppers appearing here in the central region each season declining. You could hear people say, I'm going to Masaka to find grasshoppers, but that has changed. There was a time when I would catch 20 to 205 sacks in a night from one site. Now you see, we only collected two sacks tonight. A 2013 UN Food and Agriculture Organization report urged people globally to consider adding edible insects to their diet, citing how they could boost nutrition and food security. Over 2 billion people worldwide already consider some insects as food, the report added. Grasshoppers are said to be rich in protein, calcium and iron, but their breeding habitats around East Africa's Lake Victoria are continually shrinking. Grasshoppers are said to breed in natural habitats such as the forest I'm walking through. It is a protected area, but it is under threat from human activities such as agriculture and settlement. And right to my left, a few meters from where I'm standing, is a pineapple plantation. Huge trees have been cleared and what remains of them are dry stumps dotted around the pineapple garden. The seasonal delicacy does not carry a high commercial value in communities in rural Uganda, but the grasshoppers are a booming business in urban areas. What we have before us here is a cage. These are the ones we collected from the wild. Restoring natural habitats may be difficult, but efforts are being made to breed the grasshoppers in a controlled environment, preserving the numbers, and making them available all year round. That is what Professor Philip Nyeko and his team from Makere University have focused their research on. We now know out in the field there what they prefer to eat, in the lab what they prefer to eat. Another uh, work we did was uh, looking at now the habitats it's quite obvious that in heavily cultivated areas you don't see much of them because they would prefer to be where they, 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 their feeds are. So what is indicative is that land use is very important. You cultivate the habitats, you change the habitats like into settlements, you are distorting their ecology out there. And that report was by Patience Atuhaire in Uganda. And we've been hearing from you about what other insects you eat and how you prepare them. Here's a sample sent via WhatsApp, the first from a listener in Uganda. So you want to know how the grasshoppers taste? My friend, grasshoppers are so sweet. I can only compare them to the, to the skin of a chicken. Hmm? That is that is skinny of a hen. Yeah? It is very, very delicious. You eat grasshoppers thinking that you are eating the skinny of the chicken. Even in the fragrance, the smell, the grasshoppers are so enticing, they are appetizing. 
Hi, this is Pussy in Botswana. Here we boil mopane worms, add salt, and later dry them under the sun. When they are boiled, you can fry them and add vegetables to make a relish. It's nice to eat them with maize meal. Hi, this is uh, Nathaniel Loa from Zambia here in Osaka. Uh, well, here in Zambia, we have what we refer to locally as fudufute. Now, fudufute is a species of a flying ant. It's, uh, it's more or less like an ant, but it's bigger and it's full of oil. What you do is quickly you nip off the head and the, the wings and quickly throw it on the, on the pan without adding any oil whatsoever. You stir it a little bit more or less like you're cooking or you're preparing a stir fry for about you know, three to four minutes should, should be enough. And yeah, you serve it. You can eat it as a snack or you can have it with either rice or anything that you desire. But it's, it's better being eaten as a snack. Eight months after her controversial resignation from her position as president of Mauritius, Dr. Amina Gurib Fakim breaks her silence and admits she made a mistake in using the credit card. Amina was accused of a shopping spree using the platinum credit card given to her by the Planet Earth Institute, a foundation for science and technology. And she used it to buy jewelry, clothes and a purchase at an Apple store in Washington, D.C. She spoke to the BBC's Zawadi Mudibo in Nairobi, where she began by explaining what happened with that expensive scandal. I made the mistake of using that credit card last year, but I duly refunded everything. And this year, more my expenses that were on this credit card one year after the event, it was leaked to the press to make as if I was using the expenditure. And this was the financial scandal, which was not a financial scandal. You had mentioned before that you were not going to resign. You put out a tweet. And so what informed your change of mind? Eventually, it comes to a point of no return when you find that uh, it's best in the superior interest of the country to do just that. There are opportunities that women have had in leadership. Um, historically in Africa, uh, in my view, they have not stayed long enough to have impact. Uh, so what is the problem? Is it the access to the opportunity or the ability to stay in those positions to be able to effect what they want? <laughs> well, I'll take my example. What was my vision of the State House? Was to bring in the notion of entrepreneurship, which is key for the continent, increasing the youth have to become job creators and not job seekers. We need to bring in the science focus, that's what I was doing. We need to bring in the woman focus. So these were the agenda, these were the items on the agenda for me at the State House. Maybe that was too disturbing for some. <laughs> Former President of Mauritius, Dr. Amina Gorib Fakim. To Gambia now, where opinions are being gathered as the country prepares for a new draft constitution. The issues coming up include a contentious one, the death penalty. Should it remain or be abolished? The former president, Yaya Jame, saw it as a way of reducing violent crime. But opinions are now divided over its place in the country's new era. And as Omar Wali reports from Banjul, memories of an execution in 2012 are still fresh in the minds of Gambians. I gave four years grace period to see what is happening. It is on the increase. Billahi wallahi talai. If the sentences are not carried out, I will drink alcohol and eat pork. That is former President Yahya Jame laying out his case for executions in 2012. 
While only 10 people have been executed in the country's history, many gunmen were held indefinitely on death row during his rule, under constant fear that their time would come. One of them is Lantombon Tamba, the former head of the National Armed Forces. He was convicted along with eight others for treason and sentenced to death. He recalled one moment when Jamel Loyalist soldiers entered their prison cell. Before the day of the execution, we used to discuss about it. Some will say, yes, it will happen. For people like me, I was saying all along, no, it will not happen. So until that night, when they opened the, the, the prison cells of these four people from our block, one of them who was being carried away was shouting, they're going to kill us, they're going to kill us. Then all of us in that block, we were awake, we could not sleep, you know, we were just watching as they were taking them away. And later we were able to get information from the prison guards that they were being executed that night. Despite international praise, Jamie went ahead with the execution when nine death row inmates were killed in one go. The announcement was followed by condemnation by human rights organizations and neighboring Senegal protested about the execution of two of its citizens. Those close to the president at the time said the execution was not meant to reduce crime but was an exercise to prolong Jamie's stay in power. No execution have taken place since but opinions are divided on whether death penalty should be included in the new constitution. Personally, I think it should be in the new constitution because people are doing a lot of their bad things in this world and they're doing it because they're getting away with it. If you kill a person and you realize that the next minute you will be dead, you will think twice before killing that individual. This idea of trying to be nice to bad people is what is encouraging a lot of evil in this world. I'm totally against the death penalty. I don't think we should have something of that sort in our constitution. People have different opinions. For example, the elders will tell you if you kill somebody, it should be there as a deterrent to kill you as well. But for me, I don't think killing someone because you kill someone is the way out. Retired General Lantom Bontamba, who spent many years on death row, has this message. Having served five years on death row and one year on life sentence, I had the chance, the opportunity to interact with others who were sentenced to death for various offenses. And what I have noticed was most of the inmates on death row, or even on life row, regretted all what they did. But for death penalty, I am not in support of it in our laws. Much of the government has been silent about the ongoing debate about the death penalty. However, I spoke to government spokesperson Ibrahim Asankare, whose message was clear. It is President Barrow's very strong opinion that the death penalty as a punishment mechanism, it is not a deterrent. Gambia is a very tolerant society. 95% of Gambians are Muslims. The rest are Christians. Others are enemies. Despite our religious differences or denominations, we are like one big family. He believes that Gambians can come together, they can speak the truth to each other, and they can reconcile Based on this principle, he believes that the death penalty should be abolished in the Gambia. Gambian government spokesman Ibrahim Sankare ending that report by Omar Wali. And today's African proverb is, a bird will never hatch from a snake's egg. Sent by Esaias Tesfaye in London, UK, and Ongele David in Kampala, Uganda. Africa Today will be back tomorrow. Until then, you can catch the latest news on the radio at BBC World Service online at bbcafrica.com and on your favorite social media. Just follow at BBC News Africa. We're on Facebook, Instagram and on Twitter and we'd love to hear from you. I am Hassan Aruni. Until next time, thank you for your company.